Okay, so now here's another thing that I was doing this morning. I was um, actually when I was thinking about this, I went through my life and I thought, and I looked at the world and I thought, what are some challenges that I'm facing? And I'm figuring if I'm facing some of them, so are you. So I thought, let's start talking about my challenges because it's cheaper for me than therapy. So uh, here are some challenges uh, I face, right? Firstly, um, and you're not allowed to laugh at this. Um, Pride. It's deep in our hearts, uh, in your hearts, not something. I used to struggle with pride, but now I'm not like other people. Um, Uh, and when that doesn't work, despair. You know, what's... <sighs> How are we going to get through this all? What's going to happen? How am I going to make life work? Uh, does my life really matter? Fear. There's a lot of that in the world today, isn't there? A lot of fear. A lot of fear in here, a lot of fear out there. Uh, I think I also, if I'm honest, you know, there's a drivenness. Uh, or a compulsiveness. I realized this yesterday. I, I've had a busy, busy six weeks, and uh, the kids are away to kick. So uh, Margot and I are temporary empty nesters, and we went out and we went to Bondi, and we're sitting there looking on the beach, and my mind's just racing. And I'm like, how do you actually just stop thinking about ending, you know, the global violent oppression of the poor and slavery? and uh, restructuring of global IT companies and growing the church, which are the three things that have absorbed my thinking in great... So, bring the adrenaline levels down, right? How do we deal um, with shame? This sense, not just that I've done bad stuff, but that I am bad. And maybe church this morning doesn't help with that because you walk in and you go, well... Everybody else has got all their stuff together. But if they only knew what I was like, they wouldn't really want to sit next to me, let alone be part of a family with me. So it's there. And then I think there's, I don't know how to put this. It was sort of like, it's a, let's just call it war or competition. There's a battle and a competitive world we live in. And it's dog eat dog and um, dog eat cat and Everybody eat cat, whatever it is, you know, where, where it's just this battle that we're in. It's relentless, isn't it? Um, in all kinds of ways, we live in a hyper-competitive world uh, with so much uncertainty. So I thought, wow, we could probably add a list of your struggles onto that as well. Um, but I got to thinking, what's, what's the root cause of all of this? Why? Why do we live with this, right? And it, it manifests in all kinds of toxic and dysfunctional places. So is there any, anything that's really underlying all of this? I think there is. And I think this text is going to help us with that. And I'm going to have to work hard to show you the connections. But I think that the animating energy behind all of this is... Um, uh, misdirected glory seeking okay i think that's what's going on i think we're there's a, a misdirected seeking of glory and that fundamental misdirection of this primal drive of ours is what results in all of this how so 
Well, here's what I'm going to do from this text. This text we've read in the midst of everything else that's going on on Palm Sunday and as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, this text has, its, has, has at its heart uh, the glory of Jesus and the glory of God and by implication and extension, our glory. So we're going to look at, firstly, the nature of glory. We're going to look at the nature of Jesus' glory and then we're going to look at, well, our glory. And the point I want to make right up the start is what's wrong deeply with us is that we are all glory seekers who seek glory in the wrong places and in the wrong ways. We're glory seekers, but we're seeking the wrong way. So now, uh, let's stop and back up a bit and answer this first question. Uh, What is glory? If you're vaguely religious and you've been around church a while, you'll know we, we, we bang on a lot about glory, don't we? The glory of God. And, and if you grew up Presbyterian, you know, what is the chief end of man? To glo- Thank you, Kath. To, you look like a Presbyterian. Now, even as a Sydney Anglican, you're more Presbyterian. To glorify God and enjoy His presence forever. And you go, well, what does it mean? What is, we'd say the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the something or other. So, you know, you go like this. It, the Bible's full, about, full of glory. What is it actually? Something I've puzzled about and over a lot. And here's my best thinking at the moment. I'll try and explain it, and I hope it'll make sense for you. The root word in Hebrew, in the Old Testament scriptures for glory, uh, is this word kavod, uh, which means at its root, heaviness or weight. And they take this concept of glory being a heaviness or a substantialness, and they apply it to God. And they say God has this attribute about him that is substantial, that is heavy, that is real. And glory is, uh, is a way of describing the, the weightiness of something. Now, there's an English word that we can play with, that we can connect to this concept of kavod or heaviness. And you can think of glory as matter. Okay? So, uh, mountains have glory, the Bible says. And you go, you look at, you know, my, my grandparents used to live in a, a town called Montreux in Switzerland on the banks of Lake Geneva. And I grew up spending every Christmas there. And what would happen is we'd, uh, we'd fly from Rhodesia at the time, in the middle of the Rhodesian summer. You'd get on a plane, in the middle of a civil war and take off vertically to avoid the surface-to-air missiles, fly to Switzerland, land in, in the evenings. Uh, we'd get home to my grandmother's place and my grandfather's place. And when, when we'd wake up, my grandparents were on the fifth floor of this apartment building looking straight over Lake Geneva and the Don du Midi, the French. And you wake up and you'd see the glory of these exquisite mountains. And you go, wow. So they're heavy. They're massive. And, and we ascribe glory, we recognize their glory, because we look at those mountains and go, wow, they're, they're huge, they're substantial. And recognizing their glory, we orient our lives around them. We realize, for example, that the glory means we can't do to them whatever we want to do. We have to fly around them and over them. You can't just fly through them. And thankfully, uh, our pilots never tried that. It doesn't work. You can't drive through them until you've dug a great big tunnel through them. So glorious heaviness. Now, uh, they matter. The mountains matter. Now, uh, 
I love this idea of the, the, the word play that we can enter into with matter. So uh, something has glory because it has matter, and because it has a particular kind of matter, it really matters. Another way of talking about glory is to say something is glorious is if it really matters. And we ascribe glory to something when we acknowledge that it really matters. Let me give you an example. Um, Cricket. I don't play it anymore. Really boring game. Uh, Except for when it's not. Um, But if you want to know how to play cricket, if you want to know how to bat, if you want to get advice on how to do a cover drive, Who is the best person, living or dead, to go and ask? Who's the most glorious batsman who has ever lived? Don Bradman, of course. I mean, if we're in the subcontinent, it'd be Sachin Tendulkar. But let's, for for the argument's sake, it's Bradman, right? So Bradman has glory as a batsman. He has a heaviness, a weight. And so when you recognize the glory of the Don in batting... If you want to learn how to bat, you go to the most glorious batsman in the world. You say to Donald Bradman, Donald, give me some tips on how I should do a cover drive. And then you'd be very, very wise to listen to what he says. You'd be very foolish if you didn't, right? So you you recognize the glory that someone matters or something matters, and you orient your life around it in an appropriate way. Uh, finances. You know that you're in an asset bubble when everyone is ascribing financial glory to their cab drivers. Do any of you remember the tech bubble in the late, you know, late 90s? When, when you know, you'd catch a cab and the cab driver is telling you what stocks you should buy. And how this has had a run-up. And you go, and unfortunately, a lot of people ascribe glory, like we, we give weight to the opinions of people whose opinions don't really matter. And it gets us into all kinds of difficulty. When the person truly is glorious, and the glory that we ascribe is well-directed, it gives us life. Uh, think about teenagers. Uh, what happens developmentally for kids, Right is for the first 10, 11, 12 years of their lives, kids think their parents are glorious, don't they? We as parents matter. We really matter to them. We fill their worlds and everything we say is right and they do everything we say exactly as we say it when we say it, don't they, parents? That's just, you know, more or less. They, we're right. Our opinions matter because we matter to them. What happens when they hit high school? Our glory in their eyes diminishes. Who gets the glory for teenagers? Their peers. And they start to go, what my friends think matters at least as much as what my parents think. Right? And now, is that good? Well, not really. Sometimes. So our problem is, you see, we, we desperately all need to, to, to recognize the glory that's out there and who has glory. And we need to, to give glory and orient our lives rightly around those things that give us glory. But listen, it's more than that. We do that. We look for the glory in others and we look for others and ascribe glory to them because in our heart of hearts, you know what? We all want glory ourselves, don't we? 
We want to be glorious. Huh? Now, maybe let me rephrase that. Don't you want to know that your life matters? That what you do, what you think, who you love matters? Don't you want your life to have substance, to last, to count for something, right? I mean, that's just another way of saying you want glory. You want to matter to somebody. So, um, hell is being completely irrelevant. Hell is being ignored by everybody. Hell is the unbearable lightness of being where we are just dust. We come and we live and we're gone. And never to be remembered, never to be thought of. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're in a social situation, maybe at work, you're hanging out at work, and you're introduced to someone who's really significant and influential, and you shake their hand, and you start talking, and their eyes gaze over your shoulder at some more interesting person behind you, and they just move on. What does that do to you? I mean, it leaves you feeling this big. Your glory is diminished because you know you don't matter to that person. And we want to matter. Uh, my background's Jewish. You all know that. Many of my family died in the Holocaust. The big, one of the massive drives in Judaism today um, when you, is, is, to, is to remember the victims of the Shoah, to remember the Holocaust. Why? Because we want to believe that their lives matter. And when you remember them, you remember that they matter, that they count. It was for some reason that they went through this. And so you go to Yad Vashem in Israel or the Holocaust Museums anywhere in the world. And and they're telling the stories of these people because they want to say to the world, these people matter. They have glory. And we know that in our heart of hearts. We want to matter, don't we? Our problem is... In this complex seeking after glory, we look for it in the wrong places. And so what we think will bring us glory actually brings us fear and despair and all the other things I listed. How does this passage help us with this? Well, uh, look at at Jesus' uh, pursuit of glory and look uh, at how he lives in this text. Verse 27, Jesus is coming to the the, the whole point of his existence. My soul, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Okay, he's got a choice here. He's looking at, at you know, at at extraordinary suffering, at, at tasting hell itself. And he says, no, it's for this very reason that I came to this hour. The reason is to bring the Gentiles, to bring all the world to know God. And in the middle of this extraordinary agony, as he thinks about the purpose of his life, as he thinks to himself, how will my life matter? What does he say in verse 28? Father, glorify your name. So what does Jesus say? He says, what matters in the end is that God matters. (laughs) That's what matters. 
is what God matters. What matters to God matters to Jesus. So he, is, he, he would love to do anything rather than die. I mean, which, which kind of makes sense, right? Like, if you, was, if you were trying to figure out how to be a, a save-the-nation state of Israel as Jesus was, if you were a Messiah, and there were a bunch of them floating around in, uh, in Israel at the time, first century, leading rebellions, trying to figure out how to save Israel from this oppressive Roman regime. If you want to be a political leader, if you want your life to count, you don't want to die young, do you really? Like, like you die at 33, alone, abandoned, betrayed, crushed by your, by your opponents. That's not a good path to glory for a political leader. And Jesus, and Jesus is like, well, I could go that way. That everything in the world, every other voice that I look at would say to me, preserve your own life, build a movement, create a, a momentum to overthrow the Romans. And he says, but you know what? And, and every voice in Jesus' world would say, including his own disciples, Jesus, man, you, you shouldn't die. You should not be crucified. That's really dumb. That's a path to nowhere and nothing and insignificance. God can't possibly want that of you. And he's had these voices all along. And now he's got these voices in his own soul going, no, I don't. I'm troubled. I'm torn apart. And then he says, no, no. Actually, you know what? God matters. So, Father, here I am. Glorify your name. Even at the cost of my own life. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Hey, Jesus, listen to me, son. If you just hang in there, if you go through with a plan, if you trust me to the end, I'll be glorified. It will become clear through your actions that I really matter, that I am the greatest, most significant, most important being in all of reality. So Jesus, hang in there. Because if you hang in there, everyone will see this about me. And if you hang in there, Jesus, and, and you live for me, all these Gentiles, including the ones gathered here in Roselle in 2017, they will see, because of your obedience to me, that I really matter and that living for me and ascribing glory to me is the way to truly live and to be truly human. What does Jesus do? What's the anatomy of of glory. There's, there's two moves he makes. Uh, the first move is this. Uh, he recognizes, he recognizes it. He recognizes God for who God is, and then he obeys. That's, that's how you give someone glory. You recognize Bradman's a great cricketer, and you obey his instructions. Jesus recognizes God for who he is, and he obeys him. What happens to Jesus then? Well, Jesus is glorified. Jesus himself, as he obeys, receives glory. Um, this is what he says in verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How so? Through his death and resurrection. 
Jesus knows that the path to glory is the path to his life counting, the path to him mattering is not for him to listen to all the voices in the world, not for him to try and grab it and say, I've got to make my life work. I've got to do what I need to do to make, make my life count. It says the path to glory for the Son of Man is death in obedience to his Father. That's how Jesus gets the glory. Let's translate that into the words we're using. How, do we, how does Jesus come to matter in this world. He comes to matter by dying for us. Jesus gets the glory from the Father and from us because, because through his death, Jesus shows us that at the very heart of the universe is a God who loves us and who doesn't just love us in the abstract, but there's a God who says, I'm going to come and I'm going to absorb in my own being all the shame and the guilt and the fear and the brokenness of the evil of this world, and I'm going to do this to heal the world and renew it and restore it and recreate it, and I'm going to do it in an act of power to draw people to myself and to, as it says in the text, drive out the prince of this world, to drive out evil, to defeat evil by good. That's why Jesus matters. He gets glory because he trusts the Father even to death himself. He's terrified because he knows the path to glory is not an abstract, well, I just come and I do this religious thing and I I go to temple and I, you know. The path to glory for Jesus is the path of death. It's all in. It's all in. says this to us as well. He says, listen, if you want glory, you've got to follow my path. <laughs> you know, follow my path. Unless a, a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. By anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Saying anyone, verse 25, anyone who loves their life, I think what the, the connection with glory is this. Listen, If you think you can get your glory, if you think you can make your life count by grabbing it from this world, getting the approval of others, money, sex, power, status, if this is what you are looking to to get glory, you know what? It won't work. You'll die. You won't really matter in the end. But if you say no... My glory, my life, the fact that I matter is not going to be, it's, I'm not going to get it from others here. The fact that my life counts, that I matter, if, if I'm going to get this from God and I'm going to put aside everything else, I'm going to die to everything else, then Jesus says, then you'll really live. <laughs> you really only get the glory when you give up trying to get the glory and you get the glory from God alone. <laughs> We only find out that we really matter when we see how much we matter to God. See, uh, where do we see the glory of God? Where do we see the glory of God? Where do we see how much God matters? Well, Paul says it, captures all of this teaching in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So how do we become truly human? How do we find freedom from all that ails us? How do we learn to direct our glory seeking to God? Well, we do it by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
See, when I look at the face, when I see God in the face of Jesus Christ, what do I see there? I see there that I matter so much to God that if I was the only person alive, Jesus still would have died for me. That's how much I matter. Now, do you matter that much to anyone else in the world? Maybe people who are really close to you. Here's the other thing about glory, right? The glory we receive from others and the, the, the impact it has on us is directly dependent on how important that other person is to us, right? So I don't care. If there are a bunch of people in, let me pick a country, in India who think I'm fantastic, I don't know, maybe they've, I don't know, come, someone spammed them with uh, links to these sermons and somewhere, somewhere in India, someone's listening to me preaching and going, Mark is the most amazing preacher in the world. He's incredible. He's wonderful. He's changed my life. What impact does their ascribing glory to me have on me? Zip, unless they send me lots of money. But even then, really not a lot, right? Not a lot. But what if my dad... What if my dad, who, who betrayed me and left me behind and was never around, what if my dad had looked at me and said, Mark, you matter to me. That's life. That's glory. When someone who matters to us says to us that we matter, that brings us life. And the gospel tells us that the God who made the entire universe, the most glorious, powerful being of all, looks at you and says, you matter. You matter to me so much that I would enter into your world and I would die for you. So here's what you've got to do. You've got to recognize that. This is what a Christian is. The, the heart of being a Christian is, is doing this, the same move that Jesus did here, Right? This is the heart of being a Christian, to recognize the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and then, say to, and then, then make this the most important thing in your life. To say how God thinks of you makes all the difference for everything. This is it. This is what it is to be a Christian. Not to have, not to have God as one, one additional data point in your life. Well, you know, I... I've got, I look for glory from my spouse and my work and my financial planner and my property prices or whatever it is. And then, oh, I look for a bit of religious glory from God as well. But to say, no, at the very center of who you and I am is this experience of being loved by God and everything I do is then oriented in obedience to that. A Christian is somebody who says what matters to God matters most to me as well. And everything I do flows from that. Now, guess what happens when you do that? When you and I train ourselves to recognize and obey the goodness of God, what happens? And we seek glory when we find that we matter in the, in, on the cross of Jesus. What happens to our pride? What, what does it become? Our pride becomes humility. Because I recognize that what makes me matter is not anything I've done, but it's what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. So if you're rich and gorgeous and successful, well, that's great, but that's not ultimate. 
What matters is that Jesus loves you, right? What happens to your despair? When your looks fade, your wealth goes, you get laid off. Well, you go, you know what? None of those things really define who I am. What really matters is that Jesus loves me. So my despair becomes hope. And what happens to my fear? You know, that deep fear that I'm, I maybe I'm not going to get glory. Maybe I don't matter. Maybe if, if, I get, if I get rejected by somebody, that's the end of my world. If I don't find life and love in, the, you know, in a romantic sense, or maybe if my kids don't turn out just as great as I want them to, or maybe my business goes bust, or you know, maybe that diagnosis becomes a prognosis and becomes just, you know, there's, a, there's an end point running at me really quickly. What happens to my fear when I realize that what matters most is that I matter to God so much that he lived for me and died for me. What happens to my fear? What does it become? It actually becomes courage, doesn't it? You can stare anything in the face because you know that you are ultimately absolutely secure in Jesus Christ and his love for you. So you can do what Jesus did. You can, you can walk to the cross. You can walk to your death in Christ. What happens to your drivenness? It just becomes peace, you know? The sense that I've, I've, I've got to do the next deal. I've got to get the next thing. I've got to, it just, now they're still good. Love you to do the next deal and buy the next gadget. But if it doesn't matter, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Because what matters is that God loves you in Jesus. What happens to your shame, that deep sense inside of you that you're, you're unworthy and you're not enough? And if anyone really saw what you were like, they'd n- you'd never matter to them. What does that become when you realize that Jesus sees you exactly as you are and he still died for you? You matter so much to him that nothing you have done and nothing that you are can separate you from his love. Your shame is replaced with freedom. Psychological, spiritual, emotional freedom. And war and the spirit that makes for war, this competitiveness, this fighting over resources, this relentless pursuit of glory, even at the expense of others. I and my tribe and my country, we must get the resources we need to make our lives work. What happens when you know that none of that ultimately works and that our, our glory is secure and given to us in Jesus Christ? What is that war replaced with? Love. So here's a diagnostic test. Uh, Are you moving from right to left, emotionally, psychologically, existentially? Are you still characterized by all this stuff? And the answer is, Recognize and obey the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Adore him. Worship him. The antidote to the problems of the world is to worship ourselves to health. (laughs) To direct our longing for glory in the right place and find our glory in the crucified God. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, I thank you that in you we find that we matter. I pray that as we look 
at you hanging on the cross for our sin, crucified for our misdirected glory seeking, that we will see how much we matter to you and that that will change our hearts even this morning and that we will come to value ourselves because you value us and we will come to think about the world and value this world in exactly the same way you do. I pray that you'll help us like Jesus, no matter what the challenges we face as we walk into them, to say, Father, glorify your name. Not my will, but yours be done. Amen.